having sung of the contrast between the wandering hearts of mankind and the righteousness of the Lord, His promises, His faithfulness, through even all of that, we now listen and submit ourselves to the Word of God and we'll read together as our first reading from Genesis 3, the verses 1 to 13. God has just created the world by the word of his mouth. Everything sprung up to existence because our God spoke. And then he placed mankind in the garden of Eden and commanded him to care for it. And man walked with God in those days. And now we come to Genesis chapter 3 where darkness comes. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. We'll now move ahead to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we'll be reading the verses 37 to 47. And you'll be able to find that on page 1,233 of your pew Bible. Jesus here is speaking to uh, speaking to the Jews who are around him. And he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, 
If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Now we'll move ahead, contrasting those who are in opposition to Christ to those who are the recipients of the third letter of John. Third John, and we'll read the first four verses. You'll be able to find that on page 1404 of your pew Bible. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So far the word of God. Now in connection with those readings, we'll read together from God's word as summarized in Lord's Day 43, where we read, what is required in the ninth commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation." Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today we live in a world of spin. We live in a world in which there is no longer one truth, but it's your truth and my truth. In the book of Proverbs, we read one proverb which says, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. Proverbs 18, verse 17. And how true is that? Just compare the headlines of the most well-known news outlets out there today. Since there is no truth anymore, they want to hold you to their narrative 
Each writer is out there trying to get you to hold fast to my truth. And since each of them comes from a different background and they have no foundation in common, then they want you to hold on to what they have to say. Every media headline is meant to grab your attention and everyone wants their point of view to shine the brightest and their voice, their truth to be the loudest. You'll find the exact same story with the same basic facts and two very different viewpoints. Two people who want you to believe their side of the story. And in some ways, it's no surprise, is it? Because we know that it's not just adults who do this. The idea of spin seems to be hardwired into humanity from the youngest of ages. You get a mom or a dad walking into a room after a fight, and you see this exact same thing to be true. Right in front of your eyes, you'll get both children crying and telling two different stories about the exact same thing that just happened. So how do we respond to this thing that seems to be tied into the very fabric of the world in which we live? One of the first things we need to do is not see this from our own perspective, but from God's perspective. Because the moment that we lose sight of God, we go wrong. And so we'll look at this under the following theme and points, using our tongues in an age of spin. We'll see, first of all, how we got here. Secondly, where we've been brought. And third, how we are to live. So, we see this spinning of the facts to make our side look better seems to be built into the way human beings live, right down to children. But was it always this way? The answer is an easy no, and we know this from the book of Genesis. You see, man was created good by God in his image. That is, our catechism says, in true righteousness and holiness in order to know God, his creator. God had spoken this world into existence. Every word that he said was true. And the truth and power of that word meant that where we have man speaking and an image of this world springs to our mind, Say, I say cow, and you see a cow in your mind's eye, where we have man speaking and an image just springs to mind, the power and truth behind what God says is that God speaks and reality comes into existence. Reality and truth has its existence in him. In knowing God, man understood that God is a God of truth. He is true in all that he does. Man was created to understand truth and to be an echo of God's truth in the world around him. You know how you stand at the bottom of a canyon and you shout. You might hear echoes of your shout coming back to you. Man is supposed to be like that echo responding to the voice of God. Man was to be a good steward, watching over this good world that God had created. And this also meant that he was to deal truthfully with his fellow man. And yet already in the opening verses of Genesis 3, 
the first three chapters of the Bible, we see how this begins to change. This changes as we're introduced to the devil. Before this, Adam and Eve had only ever known truth. God had spoken to them, and they responded. They worked, and they lived in the garden. They walked with God. But the devil hates God. And wherever there's sweet fellowship between man and God, between people in this world, between husband and wife, between parents and children, the devil will make every effort to build himself a foothold and from that foothold to create a stronghold for himself. The devil, described by Jesus Christ as the father of lies, for this moment in history. He comes into the garden and he begins to try to create a foothold with him for himself, opening with the line, did God really say? And so it begins. The devil puts a spin onto the words of God. The devil wants humanity to look at these words and see God as withholding something rather than protecting his people in love. And the woman responds. Instead of responding with what God actually said and calling the devil out for his wicked twisting of God's truth, the woman already begins to change things with her own interpretation of what God says. She adds a hedge around to what God has commanded by saying, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The conversation goes on, and the woman is persuaded by the devil's false witness of God's character and her own desire for worldly wisdom, and she eats. And she gives to the man, and he eats. And so the two of them plunge themselves the two of them plunge themselves and all who descend from them into sin. God had spoken this world into existence. He had given mankind the gift of speech in Eden. And now we've corrupted it. All of humanity has fallen into such a state that as we read in James 3 verse 9, our natural response is that with the same tongue we bless God and we curse our neighbor. How is this possible? It's because we listened to the father of lies, and he teaches us to bear false witness. He teaches mankind to lie to ourselves, to lie about ourselves, to try to lie to God, and to lie to each other. And now God calls us in Christ to turn away from the father of lies and to return to our heavenly father. This brings us to our second point. Now knowing what we ought to do and actually finding the strength to do it are two very different things. When we fall into a habit of sin, it becomes very hard to leave those channels behind. And there's a reason for this. Let's take a look again at what Jesus says to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, he says to them, You are of your father the devil, 
and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it, the father of lies. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. What Jesus is talking about here is what's later called by theologians the noetic effects of sin. It's a big phrase and perhaps a confusing word. The noetic effects of sin. Noetic, N-O-E-T-I-C. What this basically means is that by our fall into sin, in Adam, our minds have been changed in a bad way by sin. They've been corrupted. Have you ever talked to someone who looked at their own sin and yet saw some way to rationalize it? You would have done the same thing, they say. But this is the effect of sin on the mind to suggest such a thing. It doesn't matter what someone else might have done. It matters what God calls us to. Again, if you are speaking the truth to someone, whether they believe or whether they don't believe, about the consequences of the sin, but they just don't seem to see it, this is because sin clouds the mind. The noetic effects of sin. This is the nature of sin. And we need Christ's washing to have our minds cleared. We need the daily renewing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, exposing us to the truth, to have our minds cleared. And so we need to be aware of this, especially if there is something that we've been walking in for a long time, that we may have cut that loose. But we need to look to God for the constant cleansing, for renewal of our minds, because our minds are clouded by our own sin. And we rationalize for ourselves. And we defend ourselves rather than submitting ourselves to him. But we don't just see it with ourselves, we see it out in the world today as well, don't we? To be a Christian is an eminently rational thing. Knowing that there is a supreme being, that he has a perfect standard, that Christ has come into the world to fulfill that perfect standard, that there were eyewitnesses to his life and his death and his resurrection who bear witness to him doing what he did for us. And therefore, in response to all of that, putting our faith in him, this is a rational thing. And if our minds were not clouded by sin, everyone would be able to reason their way to this conclusion. But fallen mankind is under the noetic effects of sin. Fallen mankind has their minds clouded. They choose to have their minds be clouded. And we need God's work in our lives to take away that veil, to soften our hard hearts, and to live for him. So how are we to be restored? 
Well, Jesus makes this clear. Jesus himself makes this clear in John 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not just a way or my truth. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth. And so to make sense of this world, we need to fix our eyes on him and pray for God to remove our sinful blindness. Pray for God to remove our own personal high opinion of ourself, to humble ourselves before him and before those who are around us. And the beautiful thing is that God does this. He shows us our sin. He shows us salvation. And he shows us our service towards him. Do you believe that you are a sinner and that you have a great debt towards God because of your sins and shortcomings? That you're not just a pretty good person, but that you are in desperate need of the grace of God. Do you believe this? If you do, this is a gift of God. He takes away the veil that's in front of our eyes and he shows us the truth. The true reality of our situation. John 8 verse 47, he who is of God hears God's word. He speaks and we hear his word and we humble ourselves before him. But we don't stop there. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That he came to earth to suffer and to die for sinners just like you and just like me? Do you believe that despite all of your sins and shortcomings that you have now been made very much aware of, he sees you and he calls you to him? This is a gift from God. He takes away the darkness. He takes the cloudiness of sin from our minds. And he lets us hear and understand. Don't take this for granted. He speaks and we hear his word. He bears true witness of himself in the face of the false witness that this world bears of him. And we hear his word. Do you now in response to Christ's sacrifice put your faith in him? Can others see that you live for him despite your sins and your shortcomings? That your faith is still in him? That you strive to live for him? Does your life bear true witness to the one to whom you belong? This brings us to our third point. Well, you might say, what does that look like? Here in our third point, let's take, a cate- let's take a look at the catechism for a moment. Read there. 
I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. A little bit further, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. You don't do this because you're trying to be right before God in yourself. You don't do this because you're trying to desperately scrub your own slate clean. You're doing this because you know that having had your eyes open to sin and having God open your eyes to the salvation that's freely given you in Jesus Christ, you have now been redeemed to a new life. You don't do this because you want to earn something from God but because you've tasted of the vile mess that sin is sin in your life and you've lost your taste for it. You've truly repented and you want to savor the sweetness of right living before God. This is why you do it. So how does this look practically? Being redeemed in Christ. How then ought we to live? I want to take a step back for a moment. When we're looking at those first two things that we just described, seeing our own sin and seeing the salvation that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, sometimes we don't always make it to the third point. Sometimes we're stuck in that first point. And all we see is our own sin. Sometimes we're just stuck then we need to look to our God praying that he would open our hearts, open our minds to show us the truth. Because that's only part of the truth. It's only part of the truth that outside of Christ we're lost. We need to look to him and ask him to open our hearts to what Jesus Christ has done for us. If we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we still struggle with that feeling of I don't know where I'm at. To pray to God to lift that cloudiness from our minds. Because through Christ we are righteous before God. If we stop there and we don't go beyond there, then all of our works will be trying to scrub that slate clean. But praying that God would open our eyes to the full reality that he has bought for us. To the truth. Because it's only if we know the truth of those first two points, of our own sin and of the salvation that Jesus Christ has granted us, that we can see the beauty and the truth of living for him out of what he has done for us. And that's where our response should come from. Savoring the sweetness of right living before God because we know the truth of what we were 
and where he has brought us. But when we do see that, how does this look practically? Being redeemed in Christ, how then ought we to live? We're to recognize that we're not just released from being tools of the devil. We're not just released from something. We are also released for something. We have been set free for something. We have been released from the father of lies to live in Christ for the father above. We've been freed to become tools of the Holy Spirit. We've been freed to become tools of the Holy Spirit. Consider for a moment that final passage that we read from in the first letter of John. He writes there that he delights to see his children walking in the truth. In fact, nothing gives him greater joy than that. He hates falsehood, and to see his spiritual children hating falsehood and loving the truth brings him so much joy. How much more should this be true for us? But what does this look like? It's easy to say that that you've broken from sin. But where can we see that we actually have broken from sin? How can we see the truth of God is at work within us? Well, we need to ask ourselves some hard questions then. On the home front, beloved, how do we talk about our parents? In school, how do we talk about our classmates? Brothers, how do you talk about your wives? Sisters, how do you talk about your husbands? How do we talk about them? Sometimes we're in a broken relationship and then we must go for help. There are people we go to for help, yes, and do go to those people for help. But in talking to someone else about our spouse, is our concern also for them or only for me? That's hard but it's something that we need to reflect on. Think about this, beloved. When we're talking about someone else in our life, be it a spouse, a friend, or someone else, what's our first motivation? Is it to get help for that person? Is it to build them up in love as we pursue their holiness? Or is it just to vent to the guy in the work truck beside you? To vent to the person who's in line next to you? Or the one at the desk beside you, how much we hate this thing or that thing about them. Is your tongue an instrument of the devil? Or is it an instrument of the Holy Spirit? We don't need to cover up sins. That would be a falsehood. There are times when the reputation of that person as a child of God is at risk because of their own actions. We seek to lead each other to holiness because that is the truth that we live in, living under holiness before God in what Christ has bought for us. We seek to lead each other to holiness. 
And sometimes through the actions of someone else, the reputation of God himself is at risk. James responds to one kind of wickedness carried out by the tongue in chapter 3 of his letter saying, my brothers, this should not be. It's good and right and proper to rebuke in speaking the truth in love. It is also good to ask for help for a brother or sister in Christ. But we are in Christ. And the way that we speak is motivated by love. A love that does not hide sin, but a love that does seek holiness, both for ourselves, for the other person that we're speaking about, and for the hearers to whom we're speaking. Having been redeemed, we've been redeemed towards God in Christ, but we've also been redeemed when it comes to our relationships with our fellow man. And that means that being in Christ also affects how we live in relation to each other. How we deal not just with the facts, how we deal not just with the facts, because something can be true, but how we deal with our fellow human beings. As a Christian, if your intention is building up a brother or sister in Christ, and your motivation is love, then you'll talk with them in a much different sense than if your motivation is just to hurt them just to vent, just to share a juicy little bit of gossip, isn't it? But it's more than just avoiding twisting words, avoiding spin, avoiding condemning or joining in condemning someone else rashly and unheard, gossiping or slander. But in Christ, having been restored to fellowship with each other, we also strive to defend and honor each other when the opportunity arises. In the classroom, someone calls someone else stupid. Something to think about. This is one aspect of walking in the truth. Building each other up, speaking about each other's strengths deliberately to those who are around. This is one aspect to walking in the truth. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And Christ has restored our relationships to our Heavenly Father and is restoring us to unity as members of His body. And so we mirror that truth in our relations with each other. And yet so often we fall short in that, don't we? It's true for myself just as much as it's true for you. Yet by the grace of God, we rejoice in those words of 3 John where he is speaking of those children who are walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. It speaks first of all about lifestyle certainly. But it's also recognition that we are walking. We haven't simply been dropped in it and then the moment we take a step off, we're gone. But we are walking in it. We haven't arrived, but Christ has placed us on a road with a destination fixed in our minds. And it's by his grace and by his spirit that we are continually brought back to this road and walk along this road. 
and we are forgiven for what we've said. And we are forgiven for what we've left unsaid. We are transformed each and every day to leave behind our former ways of acting. Each day is new. Each day we fix our eyes on our Lord. Each day we are forgiven once again when we seek it in him. And so we fix our eyes on Christ. We expose ourselves to the truth of God's word more and more. We expose ourselves to the truth of God each and every day. This is one of the purposes of devotions, exposing ourselves to the truth of God. And so we increase our sensitivity to the world's inclination towards spin, as well as our own inclination towards spin and bearing false witness. We have an increased sensitivity towards seeking the truth. And we love the truth. We leave behind the father of lies and we run to our father in heaven. You and I, we both stand under God's word. We stand convicted and then we stand redeemed in Christ. And we walk restored. Christ died to restore my relationship with my fellow brothers and sisters as a reflection of the restored relationship that we have with God. Each of us in Christ can say this. And now we strive because of what he's done for us to live in love for God and for our neighbor. And sure, sin may cling even to the best works in this life as we read in the Canons of Dort. Sin can cling to even the best works in this life, but having redeemed in Christ, we have a new destination. A heavenly city that we're walking to while walking in the truth. And we eagerly and joyfully walk in that path because we know where this road leads. It's a hard road at times. It's a road in which we constantly need to look to our God for food, for nourishment, for grace, for strength to go on. But it's the better road, the road of truth. We follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.